tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to the legendary Howard Kazanjian, who helped produce The Empire Strikes Back, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, and so, so many more classic films. It is a true honor to get to speak with Mr. Kazanjian, and his stories, insight, and advice are unparalleled. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did recording it. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 118, Howard Kazanjian. Mr. Kazanjian, I guess even before we jump into your illustrious career and everything, I'd love to take a step back and talk just slightly about early inspirations and your early time, especially watching movies and experiencing things and wanting to kind of join that world. What was it that really drew you to the world of movie making and of cinema? It all began very early. I I recall some of the films that I saw with my parents at the theater, first young enough to sit on their lap, and then later on to have my own seat. And it's interesting that as I watch some early films today, I recall those films from before when I was really a youngster, when I was 8, 11, 10. And I go back and I look at the dates on these films and I say, gosh, I must have been eight years old. I must have been nine years old. That's the beginning. And then it soon was followed uh, by being handed an eight millimeter camera, Mm -hmm. hand crank, 50 foot loads, not super eight, just eight. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning. It's very interesting in the book, especially kind of tracking your journey from being a student and then, you know, working your way through the film industry. And what I loved is while you were a student, really seeing your drive and your passion coming through, even when it was things like student organizations and networking and becoming friends with people that would eventually become enormous filmmakers. And I would love to maybe take a brief moment to talk about USC and the things that you were doing there that maybe you carried through the rest of your career that you were learning and picking up, whether in class or or extracurricular? USC Film School at that time was quite different than the USC Film School or most film schools today. You know, the kids, before they enter a film school, they've had a video camera. They've made their own films. They've made their own little commercials. They've experimented with their films. We didn't have much of that back then. And also the curriculum at USC was not certainly not what it is today. And what we learned there was a great deal and meeting people and especially Arthur Knight's class where producers and directors and actors would come in and introduce films that hadn't been released yet. And we'd be able to watch and ask questions. But it changed once I got into the industry and I realized you could only really learn what it was all about when you were working in a, in a studio. At that time, it was studio. There were very few independents. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I could look back and say, school was the basic, but I didn't learn much compared to the real life industry. It was a good foundation. And even today, uh, if I get a phone call from a student, from a young person uh, asking to meet, asking questions, I'll only talk with or meet with a student who's gone to film school or graduated from college. Otherwise, I'd be on in meetings and on the phone every day. <laughs> right. But I think it's very, very important if you want to enter this business 
or, mo- or any business to get a basic foundation of what it is you want to spend your life doing. Right. And, and I, I do take my hat off at, at, at the, to the film schools and especially USC. But again, it isn't what it was back then. And it isn't what the film industry is all about. Your early career is fascinating. And it, it was such a, a joy to kind of read through as you're experiencing, like you mentioned, the actual film industry. And you're, you're rubbing shoulders with incredible people and working right alongside them. And I'd be very interested with maybe a certain anecdote or a certain element that you really picked up on from the people you were working with, because what I took away from the book was how you kind of had respect from everyone you worked with, whether it was cast or crew, um, whether it was the top build or the person doing craft services, everyone kind of at least gravitated towards you and respected you. And I'd be very interested in what you were at least trying to put forward during, especially those early years when you were just learning the film industry for yourself. Well, firstly, I was just learning the film industry and it was a whole new thing. We had a basic foundation at school, and now it was, it was the real thing. And the respect you point out, you have to have respect for every single crew member. You have to understand what they're all about, what their job entails. You have to understand when they're in a bad mood. You have to understand, and you have to be able to work with these people. But at the same time, if you're a leader, you have to be able to tell them to go to hell. And the answer is no. And have them respect you for that and march off to hell. I think a great example of that and of you kind of learning that is really, I mean, the Hitchcock portion of, of your career is just jaw-dropping, really. And especially like you were able to really command respect from someone who, you know, especially with the people he was working with at the time, some of them did not get that same respect, obviously. And and you were really able to kind of meet him on his level. And I'd love to maybe delve into that briefly because, again, there was a late stage of his career and, and really a fascinating time where the movies that he was making and the people he was working with, like you, um, was kind of ushering a, a new age of, of cinema. And what were your experiences working with Hitchcock? And what did you kind of learn from him directly and applied throughout your career? Well, Hitchcock was the only director that ever mentored me. I worked with a lot of directors, but he really took me under his wing. And in pre-production for several months, many months, had me see as many of his films as possible. And then he would ask me, Howard, tell me about a certain scene. Why was the camera where it was? What millimeter lens do you think I have on? (laughs) Why was it a high angle? He wouldn't ask all those questions at the same time. And some of the answers I knew, but you would not tell him all the time. You would say, tell me, Mr. Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. what color dress, and it's in the book, what color dress was Kim Novak wearing in Ernie's restaurant in Mm -hmm. Vertigo? Now, I knew the answer, and I said, green. And he said, no. Emerald green. Well, that taught me a lot, right. a great deal. It just wasn't the color. It was a, the shade of the color, the tune mm-hmm. of the color. And then he would say, which way was she walking? Well, she was walking towards camera. What were the extras doing in the restaurant? Well, they, you know, you'd <laughs> yeah. give some answer and he'd say, no. 
extras never walk towards camera. Now, when you sit with them, that's just one little scene in one little picture. But we talked about dozens of films, dozens of angles, dozens of actors, how you deal with actors. And that's what I learned from Hitchcock. I had something very special with him that I didn't achieve or have with any other director. And he was, in a way, a father figure. He treated me like his son. And (laughs) most people don't treat you like your son in our industry. You know, there are wonderful people. I'll tell you, there are wonderful people in our industry, but there are also tigers and lions and sharks. We didn't have tigers and lions and sharks when we were in film school. It was an awakening. Mm. And it was a big awakening for a young 22, 23-year-old guy to enter the industry where most of those people were near retirement and were afraid of their jobs, especially in the production area. Because they saw you taking their jobs. It's very interesting to me, especially when you finally end up working with and for Lucasfilm and kind of, again, take these things that you've learned. And I mean, I, I was looking at things when you're working on things like Camelot or even Roller Coaster, and then you're working on big budget movies like Empire and Jedi and, and Raiders, where you're, you've kind of almost built like a perfect resume to work on something that requires so many moving parts as let's say a Jedi or a Raiders does. And I'd be very interested in your experiences working with Lucasfilm finally professionally, right after more American Graffiti and then moving through your time with them. What were you kind of picking up, especially working on such special effects, heavy films? What were the biggest challenges for you when you were trying to kind of coordinate all of that as a producer role? By that time, I had learned enough where you, you know, every day, you have another challenge, but every day you can take on more and more responsibility and you know how to handle challenges faster and easier. And I think I think what one of the things I learned by that time was you have to make a decision and give an answer now. And the faster you learn to make a decision, you're usually right. I'd love maybe to dive into, let's say, Raiders and putting that movie together and really making sure that all of those elements were kind of working both these unsung heroes and the cast and the crew. When you were working on Raiders specifically, what were you bringing to the table? How were you adding your own mark to the movie to make sure that it was successful? Well, twofold, from the physical production standpoint and the creative standpoint. The physical production standpoint is breaking down the script, budgeting it, working with the director and making him understand that this is a schedule so many days, the order of shooting. And then the creative part is any of your input that you put in during the writing stages. I'll go back first to what George had said many times, and that is just look around. It's been done before. You take this idea and you take that idea and you create the movie you want to make. There are several things in the original discussions and in the first draft of the screenplay that had been done before. Mm-hmm. The end of Raiders, as an example, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark was the submarine submerging and heading for an island, a volcanic type island, dormant, and a door opens up underwater and the ship goes through. 
Now this is from an old cereal and it arrives in the center of this volcano, dormant volcano right. again. They take the arc out, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I said, that's right out of 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> and one of them said, no, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> well, that went out pretty fast right. and it got changed, as did Indiana Jones. You know, I, in the book, you'll see a title of a movie that I had seen. And I said, gee, Indiana Jones is very similar to this particular character. Mm -hmm. And then there's another movie where an archaeologist is after a treasure and he's up in the mountains. And at a certain day, at a certain time, the sun came through those two peaks and blasted at this old temple against a pillar. And that's where this treasure was. So now the archeologist goes down there. He breaks a hole in, in this wall and he reaches in for the treasure. Now the camera's inside and we see his hand reaching in and there's snakes in there. <laughs> and he pulls out, the, he does pull out the treasure. Right. Well, that's kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark in a way. <laughs> exactly. And again, but that's not the only film. Look, uh, I, I say in the book, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Right. Sun at a certain time. So it, it, it wasn't that we were copying these films, but perhaps we had seen them or mm -hmm. heard about them, and you just automatically incorporate them into your new film. No, you've heard nothing's new. Stories are not new. And I think that's part of the lasting legacy of these films, right? Because they are something innate within us, right? They're something familiar, but told in a unique and a special way. And especially when you put them all together, I think that's really what kind of has this staying power. You have to put them together. You have to have a story. You have to have characters. You have to have production value. You have to have a good director. You have to have Everything. You have to have good sound. You have to have great music on and on. That's what makes a great movie. Right. And timing when it gets released. I can tell you movies, you know about movies that get released when something terrible happens in the world and they get pulled. Speaking on the book itself, and I'd love to bring in Brandon Allinger, who was the consulting editor of the book. We've been talking a little bit vaguely about some of these stories because there are so many more in this book. And it is like required reading for anyone who's a fan of, of movies that we've been talking about or even just a fan of filmmaking and of cinema in general. Um, and Brandon, I'd love to maybe get your perspective very briefly on first your your first meetings with Howard and how you all got introduced and then how this book came to be and how the late, great Jonathan Rinsler was involved because it really became this um, incredible project. Yeah, no, thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me on as well. Yeah, I can speak to that and talk a little bit about the genesis of the project and my history with Howard. I met Howard about 20 years ago uh, after I had gone out to Tunisia to see the filming locations from Star Wars and Raiders. I sent Howard a letter. Somehow I found an address for him, I guess, online, sent him a letter, and I was in college at the time. And he responded, as he's known for, right? You'll, you'll read in the book that Howard is, has a reputation for helping out students. 
And, you know, not only did he answer my questions, but he answered them comprehensively. I got back, you know, it wasn't just a letter. It was like, it was like a big manila envelope. It was a pack and included was a two or three page letter with the answers to all my questions and some photocopies of production stills from Raiders out in the desert that I had never seen before, which was great, you know, fantastic. And, um, and I wrote back and thanked him and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, really just just kind of struck up a relationship through that. At some point, I was visiting California because I was living on the East Coast at the time, and we arranged to meet for lunch. And I just got to know Howard more over the years. And, you know, we did some things together, like a presentation at one of the prior Star Wars shows, where we talked about Howard's career and his experiences making these films. And we showed some great photographs from his collection of slides and things that hadn't been seen before. And so, you know, as I spent time with Howard, I got to hear some of his stories and I, I recognized that there were stories that Howard had that weren't in any of the other books. Um, and, you know, Howard, I think for as long as I've known him for, for quite a while, he was talking about doing his own book, but he just said, you know, it's gotta be when I get to it, when I have the time, I want to do it. I've worked on it a bit, but I haven't, I haven't fully engaged with it yet. And then, you know, the interesting thing with Jonathan Rinsler is, the three of us, myself, Howard and Jonathan, we worked together a little bit previously on some of Jonathan's other books because, you know, I had helped Jonathan out a little bit with his Empire Strikes Back book. And then he started Return of the Jedi right afterwards. And he was basically looking for materials early on, you know, and any because Jonathan was was uh, meticulous with the research, he did huge amount, amounts of research and he tried to find absolutely everything that he could. And part of that was spending lots of time in the archives at Skywalker Ranch, like the film archives where the document boxes live, which are just like banker boxes full of mm-hmm. scripts and budgets and production reports and all that sort of thing. But there were specifically things that that he could not find. And there were things that I knew Howard had because I knew Howard has his own boxes and Howard uh, has always been an avid uh, filer and saver of things himself. So, you know, he has his own comprehensive files on the making of Raiders, Jedi, and most other films that he worked on. And I had seen some of this, so I knew he had a lot of content. And so I sort of brought the two of those guys together and said, hey, this could be really good for the project. Jonathan brought me on to that book, The Making of Return of the Jedi, as his official assistant, hired me, so to speak, without pay, if you can get <laughs> hired without pay. But uh, uh, I was hired without pay and I worked for credit. And, and then, you know, we set something up with Howard to start going through his boxes and basically scanning and photocopying documents for Jonathan that he wasn't finding in the archives. And there were some really significant ones, like the story conference transcript, which you mentioned a minute ago, for Raiders, the, the transcript for the Jedi story conferences, Jonathan had not located at Skywalker Ranch and Howard, of course, had a copy. So there was some really significant stuff like that that informed the books. Um, and then when Jonathan left Lucasfilm, which I think was around 2016, mm-hmm. after the whole Disney transition, which he was not in love with, um, <laughs> he went freelance and, you know, he, he was just working on other projects. So he did like a Planet of the Apes books so you're probably familiar with. Uh, he did a book on the first Alien and Aliens. And then we brought a project together with Rick Baker because I had a relationship with Rick Baker. We had worked with Rick at Prop Store and helped him sell some of his memorabilia. So I knew Rick pretty well. I knew he wanted to do a book. He had had a couple of false starts with other groups. And so I linked uh, Rick up with Jonathan and with Cameron, who was the publisher who did the Rick Baker book. That all came together. And then afterward, you know, talking to Jonathan, I said, you know, the next project 
if we should really talk about is Howard Kazanjian's book. If, if Howard would be open to it, to you stepping in, it'd be great to try to drive this forward and, and the real book. And we talked to Cameron, same publisher who did the Rick Baker book, and they were interested, even though we knew it was a different kind of book, it wouldn't be a coffee table book. It would be more of a, a biography. Um, they were interested in that as well. And so we just, we sat up on a journey really to, you know, take what Howard had already done because he, he had done a lot. I mean, Howard had a, a working outline for the whole book. Mm-hmm. And then we had a series of, of days at Howard's house, you know, several years ago with just the three of us sitting around the, the table and just talking all day and then going out to lunch and looking through some of the file boxes and Jonathan and I trying to prepare questions mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what holes existed in the story, what we wanted to talk about. And that was really the foundation of, of the book, you know, and then Jonathan put together a rough draft and then he had more questions for Howard after the rough draft. Howard would go away and he'd remember something in the middle of the night and then he'd wake up and send Jonathan an email and say, put this story in the book. And, uh, you know, it just developed organically as as these things do. And, you know, the end was, result was fantastic. And obviously Jonathan got sick, which is sort of a terrible footnote on the whole thing. And I'm sure, you know, your listeners are probably aware he passed away in July of this year, which is really terrible and sad. He was just a great guy and extremely talented. But I know he was very proud of the book and he did get to see it. You know, he actually got to see a finished printed copy before he passed away. And I just I know he was really excited to see what the fan reaction would be. And, you know, he even told me, you know, I'm going to be sorry to not be around for that part of it, the release and what what people say about it. So, um, you know, very tragic what happened with Jonathan. But again, I just, I know he was very proud of the work as he was all his books and he wanted people to read it, you know, so hopefully they will. I do remember when he announced it, uh, when he, I think he teased it on like a live stream. We, it was me and a few other friends who are, I mean, you can't see it. I have a shelf of just, Jonathan Rinsler books. And um, so we were all watching and he said it was a Howard Kazandian biography was his next book. And it was like the Super Bowl. It was, <laughs> we were all just so excited to read it. And again, like you mentioned it, I think it is such a, a beautiful book to come out. And I'm so glad he got to see it because then I think there's also the Shining book that will be coming out later. Um, but as one of his last pieces, it really is um, such a beautiful piece, but also a testament to you, Howard, and, and uh, your incredible career. And so Again, if this interview has not encouraged people to buy it, and I think a lot of my listeners have already uh, bought it and enjoyed it, but if this has not convinced you otherwise, please buy it. Uh, Howard Kazanchian, A Producer's Life, a really my favorite book of the entire year. And just to throw out for listeners also, you know, I think one of the other real highlights of the book, one of the strengths is that it covers that early period of Lucasfilm which to me, you know, this comes through when you read the book, it's such a different vibe to what Lucasfilm or Lucasfilm slash Disney is today. You know, I don't know if there was anywhere else that had really captured that sort of like early foundational period of Lucasfilm when it was still a really a very small company, right? But but putting out incredible product that was kind of taking over the entertainment industry and kind of turning it on its head because it was like this this small group at Lucasfilm that was doing stuff that was bigger than what the majors were doing. And I think I I find that part of it fascinating. I love the fact that uh, Marsha Lucas is well represented in the book because you know she's a name that people have heard about a lot, but they haven't heard her story in the past because you know just because of who she was and and obviously because of who Howard was, it kind of needed a story like Howard's to bring Marsha into the fold. You know, I don't know that Marsha Lucas was going to show up in any of the effects artists biographies, for example, right. you know? So um, it, I think, I think it's, it's good that that side of the story was told and that it existed. And, and for the people who are truly rabid fans, you know, 
I personally read everything. I read all the books that are put out by anyone who worked on this film. But I think each each one sort of offers a different side of the whole puzzle. And it's, um, it's, it's great to get that extra bit of completion coming from Howard and his point of view with it. Brandon, there's one subtle message that's very important in the book. And it's the second reason why we wrote it. And that's basically, you can't start at the top. You need to start some, not, not necessarily we are where I started at the very bottom, but somewhere <laughs> along the line and learn your profession. Learn with the men and women that are helping you make the film because you're not making it alone. Right. Learn what they do. Learn what their experiences are. Treat them like brothers and sisters. You, if you start at the top, you may have one or two successful films, but chances are you're eventually going to fail because you don't know how to really make a film. You think you do, but you don't. And that's the subtle message in this book. Incredible. Again, I think this book has, has so much in it and each chapter could have i think been been a book on its own and like you were saying brandon i said like this the stuff about early lucasfilm and how much of a family it was and and the thanksgivings and the it, anyway it's all just so well told and so well documented and again like you're saying brandon like i've read everything and there were things in here i was like audibly gasping at because they were just so uh well told and, and beautiful and and stories that are not anywhere else and of course the marsha inclusion is is incredible on its own. And I, the last time I think we saw each other, Brandon, was when I flew from Texas to LA just to see Marsha talk in person because... Oh, at the, the Academy event, right. Because it yeah. is, that is, I mean, this is the second time publicly she's right. talked about anything, so... Right, and the only reason she participated is because of, you know, it goes back to that sort of family idea of the early company. It's like, Howard, you and, and your wife, Carol, have stayed friends with Marsha for, for 40 years or whatever it is, right? You know, I talked to her a couple of times and she just said, anything Howard needs, you tell me and I'm going to do it. So, yeah, she was, <laughs> you know, she was very willing to participate. Carol and I spent a great deal of time with Marsha at the Empire 40th mm. a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah, I, I saw those pictures, and I, that was I was very jealous of of, of that event. Uh, it was again you and so many other luminaries that have put these movies together, and I'm so glad that your story has been able to be told in such an extensive way. And I appreciate you you coming on and and telling just a tiny bit more of it with me. Thank you, thank you very much, and and thank you for your confidence. Thank you so much again to Mr. Kazanjian for his time and for coming on the show. It was absolutely fantastic and, again, just a real honor. In case I did not gush enough about it, please pick up his book, Howard Kazanjian, A Producer's Life, right now. The link is in the show notes and comes with my full recommendation. Another huge thank you to Brandon Allinger, who helped coordinate this interview. We'll have Brandon on at another time, but for now, head to PropStore.com to see what he has in the works. That's all for this week. Upcoming episodes include Claudia Gray, Julius LaFleur, William C. Dietz, and Scott Squires. So, until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the force be with you.